Hey, welcome to another installment of the Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm here at the State House with my colleague Peter Kadzis. Peter, hello. Greetings. And at the moment, Gin Dumsius of Mass Live. Uh, Gin, how goes it? Good, how are you? We are going to be talking with other people as well. By the way, I'm very good. Thank you for asking again. We're going to be talking to other people as well because uh, Governor Charlie Baker has just wrapped up his 2018 State of the Commonwealth Address, which doubles, among other things, as his, I think, unofficial campaign kickoff. I guess that's fair to say. Gin, what was your take on what the governor had to say? It was very much a retread of uh, last year's speech, actually. I went back and read last year's speech, and it was uh, striking how much he went over the same uh, topics. MBTA, uh, closing a billion-dollar budget gap. Uh, last year he said he closed it. Uh, this year he said uh, he, still, <laughs> he still has some work to do. So um, it was very much kind of going back over uh, everything he's done before. And frankly, it's working, right? Like he's got a 70 percent approval rating, uh, so he doesn't really have to change course too much at this point. Well, when he said, I noticed, and Peter and I were talking about this, that when he said that he had closed a, and I don't know that he said I did this, you know, it's done in the we. He said we. When he said we closed a billion dollar structural budget uh, gap without raising taxes, the crowd loved it. Peter, what was your observation about that? That the Democratic leadership, especially Speaker House Speaker Robert DeLeo, jumped to their feet, almost exploded. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but those are the three key words, without raising taxes. And that's implicit in everything that Charlie Baker does. Um, It's also interesting. um, I agree with what Ginn said. This this speech is really, you know, uh, updating the the Charlie Baker regime, if you will. But it's important to remember that he is like the giant town manager of Massachusetts. You know, no one's ever going to accuse accuse him of being a sexy speaker, but no one's ever going to accuse him of being a sloppy governor. And that's what this is about. I think there's a lot of parallels to Mayor Menino, and I know we spoke to Mayor Menino uh, before the mayor died. Um, and... and uh, I, I, I think actually it was either Michael Jonas or yourself, uh, Peter, who said he's like the urban mechanic of Massachusetts yeah. very much. So, and I also want to add something about the, the Democrats. Uh, Senator Eric Lesser of Longmeadow was keeping tabs at about 20 minutes in. He said there were 15 standing ovations in a room that's dominated by Democrats. Do you have any recollection, I do not, by the way, of how that compared to last year? Did he get as many standing O's last year? I don't know. I would, I would say roughly the same. I mean, it's uh, there, there's definitely it's built into the speeches there. Listen, I, I was a young reporter, but I have never sensed a Republican as popular with Democrats in the state house as Charlie Baker. The only one who would rival that would be Frank Sargent from many years ago. Frank Sargent had the same, you know, sort of hail fellow, well met respected, but more importantly, liked. What did strike me was that if you were dropped into the State House tonight and you watched this speech and you knew absolutely nothing about Massachusetts politics, literally nothing, I don't think you'd be able to say if Charlie Baker was a Democrat or a Republican. He gets the, you know, torrential applause when he talks about closing the budget deficit without raising taxes. Then he talks about his commitment to protecting reproductive health care for all women in Massachusetts, whatever happens in D.C. And if I recall correctly, the crowd loved that as well. And then he closes with that sort of uh, statement about how in Massachusetts we deserve a more elevated type of politics without noise and name-calling and finger-pointing. 
if you want, you can read that as a rebuke to Donald Trump. Or if you're a Trump fan, you can just read it as sort of a straightforward call for civility. He is, he is becoming, if he's not already, a post-partisan figure. At least he's, he's doing a very good job selling himself as that. And I think he did that last year, too. It was, again, that call, of, a call for civility and kind of a, a subtle rebuke of Trump. I think part of it is somewhat uh, a function of two realities. Voters uh, send to Washington people who are going to fight. That's on purpose. Here in Massachusetts, people make that difference. They make that difference between state legislators and federal lawmakers. And they want the, the, the creative friction, not fi uh, fighting, but creative friction at the state house level. Peter Katz is, oh, go ahead. You had a, a deep I, thought you wanted to share. I, I, I was going to say there's, there's an element of uh, self-protection in this as well. That's because when he decries mudslinging, He's already giving himself a protective shield of kryptonite against the mud that is going to come his way from the three Democrats oh, who were seeking, yeah. seeking to unseat them. Oh, that's good stuff. All right, Gin, you have some stuff to write for Mass Live, right? I do indeed. All right, and just to remind people, I know we've chatted with you before, but where should they find your work on, say, Twitter? Uh, Twitter, uh, MassLive.com, uh, myself and Shira Schoenberg, one of the hardest working reporters in the State House. Yeah, she's great. She's awesome. Uh, we're going to have coverage up tonight uh, and in the following days. We're going to be covering this race uh, 2018 uh, all year. All right, Dan, thank you for making time to talk to us. Much appreciated. Peter, let's go find some other people. All right, now we've got WGBH's own Mike Dean, our man in the State House. And Mike, I know you have a ton of stuff to file for radio and online, but Give me your quick instant reaction to what you just heard from the governor. I think we saw something uh, similar to a campaign speech or kind of the Charlie Baker that we're going to see this year in 2018 as he runs uh, for re-election. He's going to be Mr. Governor. He's not going to necessarily be Mr. Republican. And he's certainly not going to be Mr. Trump. Um, I think that was clear towards the end of the speech. He, he knows that he needs the Democratic legislature to get absolutely anything done and that the Democratic legislature's appetite for getting a lot done is not that grand. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we, we saw him doing the victory lap thing. We saw him checking the boxes. We did opiates. We did, you know, MassDOT. We did MBTA. We did all these things. And they are continuing because, of course, all the decisions he made in the first term were the best decisions. So we're going to continue those. Uh, earned income tax credit, things like that, doubling the credit. However, um, we're going we're gonna to just simply do more of that. And I'm the guy to do it. And there's no need to change change horses mid midstream. You know, I mentioned before you came out when we were talking to, to Ginn that I thought that if you were dropped in, if it, you were an alien parachuted into the state house, uh, and you knew nothing about Massachusetts politics, you wouldn't be able to say whether Baker from tonight was a Democrat or Republican or something else. Um, Mike, one other question, and then I will let Peter get back in here because I know he's raring to. For the Democrats out there who want to challenge him in November, what, if anything, might you have seen come up or seen omitted today that could possibly lead to Democratic leverage? Oh, one definitely thing that stands out is uh, mass health. Uh, the, that was the governor's main budgetary priority last year. Uh, the issue seems to have evaporated from uh, the, the public debate here. Uh, you know, that kind of has conveniently gone away. He mentioned it in, saying that he, he looks forward to continuing conversations, but at no point did he put the offer on the table that he did last year about changing eligibility standards for mass health recipients to bring down costs. Um, I think if, if you're the Democrats running for governor, you have to point out why those decisions that the governor says must continue, why they weren't the best ones. 
why you know certain kinds of funding systems weren't the best way to do things. Why you know his new plan to restructure uh, municipal health care through the GIC yeah. um, is is causing some controversy. And I saw, I'm sure you did the mass Dems seizing on that in their immediate post-speech attack yep. on the governor. Yep. So I, I would say the things that the Democrats are going to attack Baker on are not going to be mentioned here in that speech. And if they are, it's going to be things like the MBTA, where you can you know put the data in front of voters and say the T. You know, it might be how many, however many hundreds of millions of dollars invested to bring the T around, but is it there yet? Is it going to be? Are we doing the right things? A lot of processes have been put in place. Were they the right decisions three years ago? Peter, what do you think of what Mike just said? Well, see, one reason why the checklist of what has gotten done is limited is because there's only so much money. You know, there's in effect a cap on the state budget. Um, it, it, uh, you know, it's invisible, but it's there. We only have so much money. And for the state to be more, for the Democrats to be more progressive, they need to spend more money. And that violates those three magic words without raising taxes. So this is all wrapped up together. In some ways, the, the conservative and the middle of the road Democrats in Charlie Baker have their future tied up with each other in how do we make do, how do we make what we have better than it was before. And I think that is, in a sense, what Massachusetts government is about at the moment. Mike, one more question for you. It seemed like a total love fest in there. Ginn was telling me that, as he recalls it, it was pretty much just as big a love fest last year. Is the enthusiasm that almost all the Democrats demonstrated for almost everything Governor Baker said in there tonight, uh, when people aren't all excited because we haven't had a great big event with all sorts of pageantry and uh, media attention, are Democrats as high, Democrats in this building, I know that they contain multitudes, are they as high on Governor Baker as tonight would lead you to believe? Uh, I would say they are because there's really only the two that matter, the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate. Um, President of the Senate, of course, is in an interesting position right now, uh, acting President Chandler. But, you know, as far as the House is concerned, yes, Speaker DeLeo answers to his members, but uh, he... They also answer to him. He answer to him. He is extremely influential, and really what he says goes. Um, you know, it is a democratic process amongst his own leadership. Uh, the rank and file, the more progressive rank and file in the House, who might not be so keen on a lot of what Baker was saying, or might react or reject a lot of the, the things, uh, the, the decisions that he's taking credit for as being good ones, um, they just don't have that much of a voice in the House, in the rank and file, and really in this building. So, you know, as things heat up in this election year, as progressives come out of the woodwork, as it becomes a little more fashionable to be progressive, um, you know, we might see that in the Warren campaign, and as these Democrats get going, you know, it might cause some rank and file members to get up and, and stand up and, and come out and actually say, no, Baker isn't doing it right. Um, we saw a little bit of action on Twitter throughout the speech from senators like Jamie Eldridge, folks like that. Um, but, you know, it's really going to be up to them to stand up. Mike Dean, thank you for taking time to do this. Appreciate it. And also thanks for letting us come hang out here. Always, a great, always great to scrum with you. Can you introduce yourself since this is sort of an audio kind of thing? Okay, I'm Karen Spilker, state senator from the 2nd Middlesex and Norfolk District, the wonderful Metro West of Massachusetts. Senator Spilka, I think of you as a pretty reliably progressive Democrat. What was your take on Governor Baker's speech tonight? 
Um, it was a nice history of what has happened over the last three years. Uh, a lot of working together with both the House, the Senate, and, and the administration overall. Um, you know, there have been a lot of projects, a lot of uh, uh, areas that we worked very closely on to make a lot of progress. And I, I, I think that the governor noted uh, most of them, and, and it was nice to hear that history. Now, as you said, a nice history of that collaboration. The first and, part and of his continue. speech was a, yeah. a history of the collaboration. But while you were talking, I was trying to figure out if that was an attempt to damn him with faint praise or if that was actually a genuine compliment. Do you think that the collaboration with the governor, who has a different political philosophy than you, right. has it been fruitful and beneficial uh, to the state? or? is more needed, despite how much we hear about how well the governor right. works with you and your colleagues. Was the prior collaboration helpful or is more needed? My answer, my background is conflict resolution. I was an arbitrator mediator for many years before coming to the State House. You can never have too much collaboration. Collaboration always makes the final product, uh, the final decision, better. It's richer, fuller, more voices are heard, and more people buy into the final product. So the chances of whatever it is you end up with succeeding enhances dramatically as well. So uh, a tremendous amount of collaboration is helpful. Can there be more? There can always be more. What did you think of the, of the budget priorities that the governor mentioned tonight? Those are priorities of the Senate and have been the last few years. So, I mean, mental health, we in the Senate tried to put in extra funds this year. Uh, housing, homeless, homelessness was a, a big priority of the Senate this, for this current fiscal year. So, you know, I look forward to seeing the governor's budget uh, and, and, you know, seeing what, how we can even continue to add in some of those areas. Let me ask you one final question. Do you think that it is clear or self-evident that the priorities that you attach importance to would be better served if there was a Democrat in the corner office come next year? Or do you not feel that way? Um, you know, I think that each governor brings his or her strengths. And uh, I think that um, right now we have a lot of needs in the Commonwealth. And I think that we need to look at what our resources are and what the needs are uh, and how we address that. We're constantly um, short of resources. There's, there's, and being chair of Ways and Means, the, the worst part and the most heartbreaking part is having people come in and saying, we need more. We need more for adult basic education. We need more to prevent homelessness. We need more in the disability arena for children, for, for adults. Our K-12 needs more. We need to fully fund early childhood. Our higher ed needs more. So I think that there has to be a discussion on our, what is, are our resources available to us as well. Okay, I think I'll add one final question. Yeah. Given how frustrating you find that limitation of resources, how do you feel when almost everyone in the room jumped up and gave a standing O when the governor said he'd closed a structural budget deficit of a billion bucks without raising taxes? People seemed to love that. It also was with a lot of pain. 
Senator Karen Spilka, really appreciate the time. Thank you. All right, now we are joined by a longtime Scrum guest, a friend of the podcast, who also happens to host her own new complimentary podcast. I'm co-host, right? I'm talking about Lauren Dzenski of Politico, author of the Massachusetts Playbook, and co-host along with Steve Cazella of the horse race. Lauren, thanks for talking with us. Your reaction to what you heard from Governor Charlie Baker tonight? This is classic Charlie Baker. This is right down the middle, not making any big waves. He mentioned the Patriots winning of all things. Went out on a limb there, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, classic Charlie Baker is not upsetting things. Um, you know, just the facts, you know, sticking to the the point of democracy and what it means to serve and kind of this soaring, you know, Charlie Baker's version of soaring, which is talking about, you know, veterans and, you know, giving opportunities for people. It's interesting because Democrats, both the Massachusetts Democratic Party and Democratic candidate for Governor Jake Gonzalez called this status quo and, you know, are describing him as a status quo government. But I think Charlie Baker also would describe that as status quo. But for him, his status quo, he sees it as exceptional. You know, his status quo is a better status quo than Deval Patrick's or, or you know, other governors. Um, he, he kind of alludes to that in some of the, the data points that actually came up in the speech. You know, that You're even talking like him now. I love it. He's got you conditioned <laughs> the data points. So which data points are you talking about? I'm talking, well, there's the AARP one that someone wooed in the crowd for. Or no, it was a wow. It was like an echo of like, wow, which I love. Um, and, and like, there were, there were like three other specific things, which I was attuned to, if only because Charlie Baker also benefits from the one key data point of being the nation's most popular governor, which he didn't mention. So this is, you know, this is, this is a data-driven governor. He, he evokes data in the, in the actual speech. He talks about money, spending, whatever. But this is a status quo speech from a status quo governor, and that's not a pejorative term necessarily. I want to ask you one more question, but first, Peter Kansas. Yeah. What, what Lord just said makes perfect sense. I just had, I guess, an off-the-record conversation with a very senior member of Democratic leadership. This prominent Democrat told you that Baker's speech outlined pretty much everything that the executive and the legislature agrees on. Um, he said, that is the consensus of where the state of Massachusetts is right now, with one exception, and that's mass health. And it's not that they disagree, he said, about mass health. No one quite knows where things are. And it's going to, and it's going to be determined in the budget. Um, so this sort of undercuts what the gubernatorial, the Democrats running for governor are. In other words, the adults who have to deal with real money in real situations are pretty happy with things. The, 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 the kids on the outside, you know, who are throwing stones because they want to get inside, which is what they want to do, of course they're going to charge him with being a do-nothing governor. <laughs> it's it's interesting. The I absolutely agree, Peter, that um, you know the members of the legislature, you know, which are is almost overwhelmingly Democrats. Um, you know, you really didn't hear criticism of it. I think Jamie Eldridge was one of the few um, who's you know very progressive. You know, pretty far to the left. He was he was pretty critical of things that the governor was saying, but he still had praise for him. Um, I also thought it was interesting. Eric Lesser, Democratic senator from Western Massachusetts, came out and basically said, "Yeah, he." 
agrees with with what Governor Baker is saying. There was a question about whether or not he thinks that these goals uh, can be achieved by Governor Baker without new money. And Lesser immediately pointed to the to the so-called millionaires tax. You know, it's it's another opportunity to get money into the state coffers without anyone in the legislature or the governor having to put their hands on any sort of taxes. So it's it's honestly they can have their cake and eat it too. That's a really good point because we saw the incredibly enthusiastic response from everyone in the room, almost everyone in the room, when Baker said we closed the budget deficit or budget gap without raising taxes. People love that. So um, Lauren Dzenski, I think the last word is yours. Thank you for chatting with us. Good to speak with you as always. Thank you for having me. Peter Kadzis, they're shutting it down. It's not the guy with the funny hat and the big pole making those noises. These are tables being collapsed. <laughs> Peter, good to be here at the State House with you. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I haven't been to one of these State of the Commonwealth speeches since near the end of Deval Patrick's term. It, it's, it's right out of a movie. I mean, it really reminds me, even though The Last Hurrah, uh, Edwin O'Connor's classic book about Boston politics, is set in Boston City Hall, looking down from the press gallery into the, 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 the well, into the chamber, um, I, you could imagine this same crowd being here 30, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, there's a culture here um, that many of us attack sometimes, but people lose sight of the fact that inside Beacon Hill, under the dome, there is a community. Peter Kadzis, thank you. Lauren Dzenski, thank you. Thanks to everyone else who chatted with us and... Thanks to all of you who took the time to listen. That's going to do it for this episode of The Scrum. I'm Adam Riley. We'll talk to you again soon.